So Money episode 855, Rachel Rogers, founder of Hello7. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. I feel like we're just sort of built to hide. Like, can't I just make millions in hiding? You know, and it's Mm -hmm. like, no, honey, you got to put it out there, you know? And I think that's really scary because we are trashed, right? We're called nasty things and we're seen as bad moms. Like, oh, she's making so much money. She must never spend time with her children. We're unpacking some of the real reasons, the real issues behind why women struggle to achieve financial independence. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. My guest today is the one and only Rachel Rogers. She is, as her bio describes, a woman of color, a mother of four, and a seven-figure business owner in that order. Rachel started her career working as a lawyer with nonprofits, federal judges, and Hillary Clinton. When she realized that changing the world is easier when you have some cash in your bank account, she decided to build a million dollar business and then teach other women how to do the same. In fact, she talks about on the show today how you can't really be a feminist if you're broke. Rachel's also the creator of the Million Dollar Badass Podcast. Gotta listen to that. So fasten your seatbelts, diving into motherhood, money, and making it work, all while refusing to apologize. Here's Rachel Rogers. Rachel Rogers, welcome to So Money. I am so thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. I love you for a lot of reasons. I think um, one of the reasons that you and I just, we really we really connected when we first met And we still, um, I I feel like you're in many ways um, the sister I never had. Uh, (laughs) We agree on a lot of um, opinions. We have similar opinions around um, subjects like motherhood and money and career. Ultimately, I feel like if there's one word to describe your approach, it's unapologetic. Yes. I like that word. Yeah. (laughs) I thought about that as I was thinking about our interview today. And I was like, if I had one word to describe Rachel, it would be unapologetic in the most empowering way. Um, Unapologetic as a mother of four, as an entrepreneur, as a woman of color, as a feminist. And I want to get to some of your uh, viewpoints that have actually rocked the media world, uh, including thoughts like, you can't be a feminist if you're broke. explore that and unpack that with you and so much else. But first, let's talk about you, Rachel Rogers, today as the founder of Hello7, as a mom of four, as a woman of color, as an entrepreneur. Um, uh, is this is this the person you envisioned you would become growing up as a young girl, even like even as as early as five or 10 years ago? Is this was this the vision? Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> I don't think I could have imagined anything like this. It's way better than what I would have imagined. You know, I think for sure when I was a little girl and I see it in my daughter who's seven, I was unapologetic as a little girl, right? Like I had big dreams and I fully expected them to be realized, you know, and my 
my mom and my dad really um, did a good job of instilling that in me and making me believe that I could be whatever I want. If I wanted to be an astronaut, they'd be like, damn right, girl, you know, you could be an astronaut, go get it, you know? So I totally expected to be successful, right? But in the traditional sense, and that is the original path that I took. So I went to um, college and I interned on the Hill and then I went to law school and, you know, clerked for a judge. And I was fully entrenched in that traditional path, even working on the Hill, working in, in federal court. Like these are places where, you know, you know, an Afro is not often seen. And I even felt it when I was young. I I interned for Hillary Clinton when she was a junior senator for New York. And I remember being on the Hill and everyone was always in beige. It was like beige and gray and black and navy (laughs) was the uniform. And I would be in like purple and my big hair, you know, and I was like, hmm, that was the first time I think I realized that I stand out, you know, and just in appearance you know, from what everybody else is doing. And I went through law school and it was honestly kind of a traumatic experience because it's almost like it tries to beat that uniqueness out of you, you know? And I think by the time I graduated, I was kind of like, screw this. Like, I want nothing to do with this traditional path. And if I'm going to do it, I need to do it my way. And if I can't be successful doing it my way, then this being a lawyer is not for me, you know? Mm -hmm. So I was like, let's just try it. And so I started my own practice and just did it my way. And because I did it my way, it was like, whoa, who's this young lawyer? So I got a ton of media attention right out the gate as a young lawyer because I was just doing something slightly different, which is starting a practice, you know, using online marketing, making it based mostly online. I worked with my clients online. So immediately I was doing things differently and I got a lot of vitriol because of that. Uh, which was actually a great experience because now I just don't care. So right. now unapologetic is 100% what I'm all about. And I don't even think about it. A lot of times I don't think, oh, what will people say? I don't care. Like I literally don't care. So I think having haters is the best thing that could happen to you because it really, you know, once the worst happens, right, people drag you online, they say mean things about you or whatever. Then you're like, I survived that. Who cares? You know, <laughs> so what a gift. Now, Thank you. Thank you, haters. (laughs) Well, one of the things that I think you're so bold about is is projecting this desire and interest and motivation to make money, to go out there and make Mm -hmm. the millions. A lot of women, I think myself included, initially had a problem even saying vocalizing that because I think there is an association with being rich and maybe being greedy or, uh, you know, money is such a like the whole money thing for forever. It's been a man's domain, right? Yes. And it's like not a feminine energy, right? That we get from being rich, but I feel like we're turning a corner in that, especially post Me Too, where we're realizing that without money, we don't have resources, we don't have access, we don't have the right to walk away from bad situations. So women need the money for a lot of reasons. And and, and you've been woke to that theory for a while now. Um, why do you still think it's hard for some women to to accept this and to embody this? I think it's just built into us, you know, it's part of our upbringing, right? We're like socialized to care about everybody's feelings and to, you know, be nurturing. And there's so much about being a woman that seems like you shouldn't be aggressive or ambitious. And so even in, you know, when I am, 
you know, working with clients, like I specifically call out in my marketing, ambitious women, right? If you are too ambitious for the women around you, great. You're perfect for my community because yeah. <laughs> we are all ambitious, you know? And I think it's, it's almost seen as like a dirty word. And still in my work with my clients today, I still have women, they want to make more money and they say they do. But when it comes time to really put that out there and to really take the steps visibly that are going to make that happen, they still sort of shy away. I feel like we're just sort of built to hide. Like, can't I just make millions in hiding? You know, and it's mm-hmm. like, no, mm-hmm. honey, you got to put it out there, you know? Um, and I think that's really scary because we are trashed, right? We're called, you know, nasty things. And we're seen as bad moms. Like, oh, if she's making so much money. She must never spend time with her children, mm-hmm. you know? How many of us have heard that or even have said that, right? Like we have even said those things in the past, a lot of us. So I think that that is just a pervasive part of society. And it's really hard to shed that because it's been a part of our upbringing from day one. How have you managed to uh, align family with business in a way that you don't feel like you're choosing? Um, I think that's still a, it's still a real threat, I think, to women's success is like maybe that it's a mindset shift that has to happen, but there are real challenges in our way, childcare, money, support from our partners and community, knowing even how to tap into the right resources to be able to earn that kind of build in some of that flexibility, um, asking our employers for flexibility. There's so much kind of in our way or these are kind of hurdles that, you know, before you even get into it, some women are like, this is too much. Like I'm just going to either be a family person or a business person. There's really no in between. How have you, what are the hacks that you practice to get this to work? Yeah, well, I think this is really important because until you figure this out, it's really hard to go, you know, balls to the wall for your dream. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you're feeling like, oh, but I need to show up for my kids and I can't show up if I'm going after this dream. So um, for me, it's about being intentional about what kind of mother I want to be. So that's where I would start. I would even, you know, go old school and take out a piece of paper and a pen and just write down a list of like, what do you want your kids to say about you? years from now? What do you want your kids to know? What do you want to model for your children? I think being an intentional parent is a big part of this. Instead of just doing what everyone says you should do. Everyone says you should be on the PTA and you got to volunteer at school every day, you know, and you have to stay home with your child and you have to breastfeed for two years or whatever. Oh no. Oh Lord. Listen. Uh, so, So forget about all that, right? And get with like what you really want for your relationship with your children. And I think once you do that, then start going about building that life for yourself. And for me, you know, I want to model success for my children. I don't want my children to grow up with a scarcity mindset like I did. I want them to expect abundance, to ha- to take to feel like yes, I can have whatever it is that I want to go after, you know? And so those are things that are important to me. I want them to remember that mommy re- read to me every night and that we went on fun vacations and that we she, mommy worked hard so that I could have the best education possible. Like these are the things that are important to me. I don't need to make every meal for my children. I don't need to launder (laughs) their clothing. I don't need to clean up after them. I don't need to clean their bathroom. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, So those are things that I don't need to do in order to feel like a good mom. So I think we have to separate like parenting from the labor related to parenting. Because I think women think I have to cook dinner every night because that's being a good mom. No. I think sit down and have dinner with your children, but that doesn't mean you have to cook it, you know? So like, Mm -hmm. let's separate out the labor. And then what I tell my clients is like, let's immediately start, start outsourcing. And I know you feel the same way 
outsource what we can, right? And what I always recommend is start with the laundry. Like, why are you doing laundry in this day and age? Mm -hmm. It's like $35 to drop it off, you know? Drop it off. And it takes take it hours, hours of your time. Hours. Like, I'm not, we're not talking like an hour. Like $35, would you like to spend $35 and have it done? Or would you like to spend mm. all of your Saturday morning or all exactly. of your evening times three? That's at least my case. I'm not, a, I'm, yes. not a, I'm not, I'm a laundry ninja. I'll be the first to admit. Um, <laughs> a lot of what you're saying is echoed in this great book that I just want to recommend to everybody too, that I actually referenced in my research for when she makes more. And I've interviewed the author. It's called Perfect Madness by Judith Warner. And it's all about, well, the subtitle is motherhood in the age of anxiety. It's mm. really fascinating if you are interested interested in, you know, looking at the patterns in motherhood over time as women were mostly stay-at-home mothers and then when they went to work and now uh, to modern day and sort of like like you described it really perfectly that, you know, motherhood, we, we, we incorrectly equate being a good mother with putting in all this work, like all the labor, yes. all the hard labor. Um, when really it's about presence and it's about conscious parenting and it's about, um, like you mentioned, really figuring out what is it that you want to model for your kids to have so that they can grow up with the right kind of frame of mind and appreciation for life and motherhood and all those things that doing laundry for them is not, it, it it serves nobody, but yet we Mm-mm. do it because I think especially working mothers and especially breadwinning mothers, there is this feeling that we have to overcompensate in the housewifery department. Oh, because, I hate that. Yeah, because, but it's so psychological and a lot of us are doing it without really knowing that consciously that this is what we're doing, but we sometimes do it because we feel like unfeminine as a female breadwinner. So we try to overcompensate in the traditionally feminine areas of domestic life. Um, And it's insanity, uh, perfect madness, as Judith Warner describes it in her book. So pick that up if you want kind of a context for like the crazy things women do as mothers and wives. Uh, But Rachel, you also have this really poignant perspective and it's a bit controversial, which is why I love it in this, this, this idea you have around feminism and uh, money. And I think it's very on point with where we are culturally as a society when we're looking at now in the post Me Too movement, um, what does money mean for women and what does it mean for the act of feminism? Um, you will have said so boldly on NBC and other outlets that you can't be a feminist if you're broke, which is a really uh, bold statement. And I'm just curious, since you have come out with this ideal idea, what has been the reaction? Yeah. Well, surprisingly, it's been mostly positive. I think a lot of people get it. And I did definitely get some hate mail after that. Really? What was the hate mail about? Hmm. Well, you know, people just saying, um, you know, you're a monster, you know, just vitriol. (laughs) Just nothing. (laughs) No good points. You know, just basically terrible things about and also people that just hate feminism, you know, on its own beyond even my statement and my comment about it. So I honestly too, like that would be the appropriate reaction if you're somebody who hates the idea of feminism, because this is an idea that really will, you know, um, help us to accomplish more, right? Like it will get our agenda further. So of course, if you're, you know, opposed to the idea of feminism, then you're going to hate this idea because the truth is, is that we need money to make, you know, to have an effect and to get our agenda heard. No one is going to just say, oh, you know what? You're right. I've had a change of heart. Let's, you know, 
let's, you know, have more women in office and let's put more women in the C-suite, right? Like let's, let's make more women judges. Let's just do it. Right. Like that is never going to happen. And I started to feel frustrated with just seeing so many of my friends and just, you know, just seeing in the news all the time that we are out there marching. And I love that. And that's great. But let's not just do that. Let's also get this money because that is really what's required. We need to control the funds. Then we have money to invest in the women we want to elect. We have money to, you know, invest in ourselves and our careers and our futures. So I think, you know, an act of resistance is for every woman to take hold of their financial situation and, you know, make it a priority to earn more and to have more economic power. I think that is where we need to focus our energy. I want to invite you to Stacks House, Rachel, which is, uh, I don't know if I've told you about this, but I'm launching a pop-up in Los Angeles. It's a pop-up with a purpose centered around teaching and teaching women about money, but also having a blast doing it. And it's like Museum of Ice Cream meets women and money. I love it. And that's exactly our point in doing this too. It's sort of like our silent resistance to get women to feel more empowered around their financial goals and to actually go out there and do all the things with um, achieving financial independence. And uh, yeah, you need to like be there and we need to dedicate like a moment with Rachel in the Stacks house because I think- (laughs) I would love to. You're so aligned with with our mission as well. Um, Our sponsor for this show is Chase. And I know it's mid-February at this point, but uh, we're still curious to know what is your financial resolution in 2019 and how have you been sticking to it? So I love that. I think that's a great question. So my financial resolution is to 3x my revenue this year. So that is my goal. I'm an entrepreneur and a business owner. And so my goal is let's 3x how much we're making, you know, and let's just see if we could do it. Like I like to really challenge myself with big goals. And I think sometimes big goals can be too much for some where it's like, okay, I don't feel like I'll ever get there and it's disempowering. But for me, it gets me excited to just create an enormous, ridiculous goal and just say like, let's see if we could do it. You know, so that's, that's what I'm charging towards. And it's always, you know, my goals are always towards, earning more. And then I want to invest more both in, you know, my financial future and then also in causes that I care about. So that's my why, right? If I earn more, then I can reach more women with my work and then I can invest more for my kids and my future and I can invest more in causes that I care about. So it's all about earning more money. And how are you going to do that? So I love that because I think it's super important to actually have a plan. I love when people tell me a goal and then they actually have a plan to do it. So for me, (laughs) my goal is, you know, it's really about underpinning my business and creating more systems, hiring a team and like going all in. And this is scary and hard work because, you know, we're already generating seven figures. We're doing quite well. And for a lot of people, they would be like, okay, I'm done. I've arrived. What else do I need to do? Uh, but I'm like, Hey, we got here. So where else could we get? So let's keep going, you know? And I think the scary part is that sometimes we have to make investments in ourselves that are, you know, if I want to have a $10 million business, I need to be making $10 million kinds of decisions right now when I still have, you know, a, a million and a half size business, you know, and I think that's really scary. And I think that's applicable to a lot of your listeners where if you want to be a woman who is, you know, making, you know, 250 a year instead of 125 or 
80 instead of 40, you've got to start making decisions that'll get you there. And that can be scary, but it's what's required, right? We have to, it's kind of like dress for the job you want, right? Make decisions for the financial future that you want. Hmm. Tell me about a time in your childhood, Rachel, where you feel like you learned something about money that impacted you as an adult. Could have been a good experience, a bad experience, or just just one that stands out for some reason. Oh my gosh. So I could see it vividly, like as if I was standing there right now in my apartment that I grew up in, in Flushing, Queens, New York. Um, and my mom was at the door because the electric company Con Ed came to my door to turn off our lights. Right. And this is, ha- this had happened before. So this was a part of our childhood where there were times where there was money and we were okay. And there was times where we were, there was a lot of struggle and we were, you know, using food stamps. And so this was, this was not a particularly great time. My parents had both gotten laid off at the same time and it was just a really rough period. And so Con Ed, they came to the door and he's like letting us know he's about to go downstairs and turn off our lights. And this is like the coming to the door. Here's your last chance to make a payment. Well, my mom didn't have the money. Okay. But what she did have was, you know, intelligence and cleverness. And so what she did was, do you know, do you remember like they used to send out letters or mail that was really junk mail, but it would have like a check in it. And it would say like, start your account today, you know, and it looked like a real check. Well, she wrote one of those checks out to Con Ed, knowing that it was a bad check, right? So I know this is like not great. (laughs) But here's the thing. I thought my mom was a hero because what she was doing was buying herself time. She was like, I'm going to give him this check. That's going to buy me seven days. And in seven days, I'll have the money to pay the bill. And I'm going to keep my lights on for another seven days. And it worked. And I was like, my mother is a genius. She is magical and she can make, you know, a (laughs) dollar out of 15 cents, you know? And that is, that, that is like what I remember. And I just, I think what I take from that is just the like, you know, really finding a way, right? Like not taking no for an answer, rejecting that idea that this can't happen and saying, yes, it can. Let me just think and find a solution, you know, Hmm. in the moment. And I love that. And I think that's what we have to do as women is just get creative and find solutions. So I love that story. And it just makes me love my mom every time I think about it. Because I mean, she did that many times where she just found a way where there was no way. Um, And I think that has given me the tenacity that I've needed to, you know, build the wealth that I have done so far and that I will continue to do. Well, there is absolutely no roadmap for building wealth. You know, Mm -hmm. well, there isn't there there isn't because I think especially for women who want to arrive at motherhood and not give up their careers, but um, actually do more with their careers. It's there are. I feel like we need more examples like you out there that are public and loud because we feel like we don't have the role models necessarily um, or everyone has their way, but it doesn't really, really fit into my way. And um, so all this to say that there's this startling statistic out there that keeps me up at night, um, which is that, you know, firstly, there are only as many women in the workforce today as there were in 1985. That mm. women in the workforce has really uh, stagnated. Um, part, this was a survey recently done uh, through Harvard and some other inst- some other schools, and what they basically concluded was that you know women who are now going to college at higher rates than men and even graduate school are entering the workforce super ambitious. These are your women, Rachel. And then they have that first child and they're completely unprepared for all of the like 
the physical labor, the emotional labor, the costs, the lack of time, the exhaustion. And so what that has led them to do unwillingly, these are not women who wanted to opt out. These are women who now are feeling like they have handcuffs on because they don't have the strategy to figure out how to make it both work. And they kind of are at the emergency stage now where like they have the child. It's kind of too late, they think, to like start planning. And so they opt out and um, it's a real bummer because they didn't want to be a statistic. They didn't want to be part of that opt-out generation. And yet here they are and they're really smart women. They're accomplished. And so looking back at yourself, just yourself, what do you want to tell these women that some things that you did to prepare you for now a life where you're running your own business with four kids and the breadwinner? Yes. So I think the problem there, Farnoosh, is boundaries. I think women need better boundaries. And I think law school prepared me for that and learning how to negotiate and those kinds of things have been really important life skills because I negotiate with my husband. I negotiate with, you know, my teenager. I negotiate with my children, uh, with my clients, right? With everyone. So I think we need that negotiating power and we need to put some boundaries in place. I feel like women need to reject the idea that we need to do everything. Completely reject it. Just, just, just say no. Okay. Just say no. Just say no. Put some boundaries in place and let your spouse know I will not be doing the laundry and be the only one responsible for dinner and be the one cleaning the house and go to work just like you. I will not, it will not happen. So let's find another way. And we don't have to wait until we're angry and furious. You know, I think approaching this conversation instead of sniping and getting angry and just saying like, Hey, let's be realistic here. I want to earn more Uh, I don't want to have to quit my job, but this isn't working for me. What can we do? Let's rearrange some things. And I think, honestly, you need to have, you know, those conversations and don't let up on it. It's not if if they're not getting it the first time, make it known the second time. And also to let go of this perfection. Like sometimes I feel that when I'm talking to, you know, my clients or women that, you know, complain about their husbands don't do enough. And I say, well, if you leave and say, well, I'm going to go take some time for me you got the kids, you got the house, right? Don't leave a 17 point checklist for them to follow. Just (laughs) let them do it. Let them do it. And they're not going to do it as good as you. And that's totally fine, right? Accept that as part of this journey. And these children need to be led by their father too. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. let it go. Okay. Because otherwise if we try to be perfect and try to, you know, enforce our to-do list everywhere we go and never let anyone else do anything for us or for our families, then we're playing a new losing game. Like this is just not an option. So we have to be realistic, put some boundaries in place, both at work too. Don't let your bosses, yes. just, you know, pile up crap on your desk without having money that goes with it. You know, leave at five o'clock or leave <laughs> at least at five forty-five. right? You have a right to have the conversation. If you're getting too much work, you've got to put boundaries in place and you have to learn how to have those uncomfortable conversations because if you don't, you will 100% get the lion's share of the work. That's just how the nature of the beast works. I don't care who your husband is or who your boss is. It's going to happen. So you have to just be aggressive about saying, I've got these boundaries and I will not budge. So we're going to have to find a way. And if they, if you're at a place where that's not an option, start looking for another job where you can have a little bit more freedom, you know, and where you can have some boundaries in place. Cause I think when we let people infringe on our time, we're letting them infringe on our earning power as well. It's the same thing. 
Bye. Next. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> Mic drop. You're you're right on target. And I have actually heard this from another guest. Uh, I encourage people to go back and listen to uh, my interview with, and I'm, I'm stretching this out because I'm, I'm at a loss for her name right now. Um, oh, Hani Wilshansky. Okay. Um, and she's also an entrepreneur, breadwinner, mom of, I think, multiple children. I want to say four, but it might even be like six. Wow. Um, it just keeps growing. But she said... <laughs> Similarly to you, you have to ask the uncomfortable questions mm-hmm. to your boss, yeah. to your partner, to yourself. You have to get outside of your comfort zone. You have to ask the scary questions of, uh, uh, can I get a raise? Can I get more time? Can I have the Friday off? Can I work mm-hmm. from home? Um, and perhaps it's not even a question. It's like, I, this is what I'd like, right? And have yes. that negotiation. Um, cause yes. I don't like, I don't like telling women to like ask for permission. Like just ask for what you need and what you want and be prepared to have a conversation around that. Right. And make it like a win win. But really you have to just be able to be brave enough to say what it is that you need out loud. Oh, it's scary yes. sometimes, and, but, but can you're I absolutely share a negotiation right. tip, Farnoosh. Yes. Ladies. Yes. Um, always, I think it's important when you're going into these kinds of conversations and you're about to ask for something and the answer, you know, could be, no, I don't want to do that. And then you have to think about, okay, what are my alternatives? Think about those alternatives before you go into the conversation. So in the like, you know, legal, like legal technical speak, I guess it's called a botna, best alternative to a negotiated agreement, right? So if you don't, if this doesn't work out the way that you want, what's your alternative? What's your plan B? And I think it's important to have that plan B in place, like start working on that plan B or research that option, right? Because that'll help you to know when have I hit that, that mark where, okay, I'm walking away Mm -hmm. or where do I need to stick around? Right. It's like, so let's be really educated and strategic about how we go into these conversations and, you know, get what we want, right? And make a case. Don't just be emotional. Don't just say, don't just talk about your feelings, but talk about mm-hmm. why it's important for them. What do they get out of it? You know, right? Uh, use that as well. Cause I think those are important skills. Like, and you shouldn't have to, but you do, right? Cause everybody just cares about themselves. Like, that's the world that we're in. So just let's just accept no, it. And it's be negotiating realistic. 101. You have to, yes. the best negotiators know acutely well what the other side's needs are. Yes, exactly. And you base your pitch off of that, you know, um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, and wow, so much here. I mean, we could talk for hours, Rachel, um, but if you want more of Rachel, you need to check out her podcast. Uh, tell us a little bit about that because I know it's kind of a new thing that you've embarked on and it's doing so well. Tell us about it. Yes. So my podcast is called Million Dollar Badass and it's super fun. And what I'm doing is interviewing women of color who are making a million or more. And these are wealthy women and they're sharing their journeys and their experiences. And I just thought it was really important for more women of color who are wealthy to get visible and to be seen. Because I think sometimes we can think, oh, you know, money is just for white men. Or sometimes we think money is just for white women. So I thought it was really important for us to see those leaders. And I think that there's a lot to learn from women of color, especially resiliency. There is no more resilient group of women than women of color. So I feel like there's so much to learn for everyone uh, from these women's stories. So I love this podcast. It's super fun. And I'm like, I can't believe that I get to do this like for business. What? (laughs) 
Thank you for putting it out in the world. So, so needed. Rachel, thank you so much for coming on the show. And um, everybody will check out your podcast. We'll have all the links to Rachel's 